Why does God command us, parents, or even the church to one another, to speak to one another about the works of God and the wonders of God? Well, that brings us down to verse 7 and 8, which really in some ways is like the hinge verse of this psalm, this whole psalm. That we're to tell the next generation the works of God and the words of God so they will trust, remember, and obey. Today on the Songtime Broadcast, we'll continue our year in review with this message from my good friend Chap Bettis, the author of The Disciple-Making Parent. He'll take us to Psalm 78, a passage that tells us how to be good stewards of the next generation as we teach them and train them up in the fear and admonition of our Lord. A message you won't want to miss, but first, we're going to be joined once again by Nick Tucker as we look at his book and conversation about things God can't do. Don't miss that conversation. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. One of the things that I enjoy about this season at the end of the year, it's not just that my birthday is coming up in uh, a few days, November 15th. (laughs) Hint, hint. No, what I like about the end of our year is our year in review, as we're looking back and reflecting on all of the things that we've been through and studied so far, all the, the messages that we've shared, as well as the conversations that we've had with various authors and thinkers from across the globe. It's really a joy to go back and refresh and consider all of the various dynamics. And one of those that has remained with me is this conversation I'm about to share with you with Nick Tucker. He wrote a book called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. So often we focus on the things that God can do, that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God can accomplish anything. There is nothing that God can't do except Uh, things that are contrary to his character. In the book, Nick talks about how God can't sin, how God can't lie, how God can't break his promises, and those are things that give us a great deal of comfort. But this comes from a place in Nick's life where I think it's really important to understand why it is so important to see God in his omnipotence, in his absolute power but also in his ability to restrain that power within his standard of holiness and love. Here is my interview from earlier this year with Nick Tucker about his book, 12 Things God Can't Do, and how they can help you sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that comes from personal experience, say, I guess, what, about 12 years ago, my younger brother died very suddenly on his honeymoon. Hmm. And what became apparent to me was, the, the the place I was going to to cope with that and to deal with it was was actually my doctrine of God. It was you know this knowledge that God is unchangingly good, you know, un, unsearchably and unfathomably wise, and um, you know that He doesn't change. So that I, I could I could kind of say to myself, and this is this is basically what I was preaching to myself was, you know, Nick, don't you, that when when you see him, you will know that he's never put a foot wrong, mm. uh, and that he has he has done right. He's always done right, and um, and I think that actually, you know, that, that God is in the end the one certainty in all of reality. He's the one genuinely unchanging uh, and trustworthy thing. And so, I'm not the God's a thing, but he, he, I think you know what I mean. Um, and and so, yeah, the idea is very much that as we get to know God and think about these things that he can't do, 
like changing his mind. So if God makes a promise to you, he's not going to say to you tomorrow, yeah, actually, I've had another think about that. Um, and, you know, or I got to go with my team and actually we were, we were hashing out some different angles on that one. You know, he's not going to do that. He, he, he makes a promise, he will keep it because he doesn't change his mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you could rift on any of them here, I think. Uh, but the, the, the point I think that you're making is so crucial. And I, I, I'm glad you shared your own personal experience because I think a lot of our listeners have been through experiences that are very similar and they've had those mm-hmm. same questions. And that is where our brains really struggle to, to trust in God because we ask us, why would God allow good things to happen or bad things to happen to good people? And that's hard for us to fathom because, mm-hmm. and the core of that is because we kind of think God is obligated by our principles, but God's obligated by his own principles. Mm-hmm. And that, this is a real test of faith to whether or not you actually believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he will do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, it just it just strikes me that, that the more the more we get to know God, the more we understand. You know, my ways are not your ways, says the mm-hmm. Lord. He 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 is just so different from us. So because everything we know is limited, is we see it from a particular perspective. We have limited access to information. You know, we think we know. I mean, you know, uh, over the last two years as a church leader, you know just realizing how little i know <laughs> you know just how, how limited my understanding of what the right thing to do is uh-huh. and yet you know god is never unsure of what the right thing to do is but i but i often think well i know exactly how god ought to fix this like, you know if only god if only you would do this you know and so so often my prayer life is is you know it sort of degenerates into trying to give good advice to the god who already knows everything yeah and um rather than casting myself on his mercy uh, and just and 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 in a sense saying, look, I know you know better than me, and mm-hmm. um, and and I think that that's a real, if if that gets deep down into your soul, that actually helps you to cope with suffering. Yeah, I really think it does because because you can say, oh, I just don't understand how this can be good. I don't understand how this can be right, mm-hmm. and yet somehow you are working out the best possible plan. What ultimately will turn out to be the best of all possible worlds, even though right at the moment in the depths of this, I cannot imagine how that's true. Mm-hmm. But I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Is is that we haven't imagined God and we can't imagine Him. Um, our problems come when we think we can or when we try to. So we say, well, I, you know, if I can't imagine what God could be doing in this situation, He can't be doing good. Mm-hmm. That's not true. The question there is, if God, if God is really all powerful, why doesn't He do this for me? But that doesn't diminish in any way that God is all-powerful. It's his wisdom and his graciousness that doesn't uh, allow him to to do what we want when we want because he sees the bigger picture. He he mm-hmm. has a bigger plan, and his plans are always perfect. So he is all-powerful in those scenarios. Yeah. We just don't understand why God is doing it, but it doesn't limit his power or his His nature in any way. It just shows that we, we don't have that perspective that he has. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I-, I couldn't agree more. We've been listening to my interview from earlier this year with Nick Tucker. His book is called 12 Things God Can't Do and How They Can Help You Sleep at Night. It's a great resource uh, for you and for your loved ones. Let me ask you, if you know somebody who is struggling with whether or not God is good, uh, whether or not God is is really reliable, this is these are questions really that a lot of people are struggling with because they see all of these tra- challenges and trials in their life 
They have that question, is God actually good? It seems that my life is going so poorly, how can I believe in a God uh, who's above all things when everything in my life seems to be falling apart? Well, this book is a great evangelistic tool as well as a comfort. Uh, You can read it yourself, you can share it with a friend, and with Christmas right around the corner, books make an excellent gift. Find out about this book, 12 Things God Can't Do, and others that we have on our shelves available when you give us a call, 508-362-7070. And in fact, much more of these books and interviews are available on our website as uh, we look back over the course of this year. The full interview is over on our website at songtime.com and, of course, on our social media pages. Well, today we're continuing our year in review as we're looking at our summer psalm series. And in Psalm 78, we get this strong instruction to raise up the next generation, to disciple them in the fear and admonition of our Lord. And this message from my good friend, Chap Bettis, he shares with us how it's a church's responsibility to raise up children. It's not just one individual, the youth pastor or the children's director. It is the church's responsibility to come around the next generation so that those who come behind us find us faithful. Here is Chap Bettis with a closer look at Psalm 78. You know, you and I stand on the shoulders of men and women who've gone before us. Obviously, as a church, we stand on the apostles and their teaching. We also stand on the generals of, we might, might think of the uh, Reformation. But there's also those that, who have gone before us here in New England and actually in Rhode Island and southern Massachusetts. And I bring that to our attention because I want us to think about that each generation has a responsibility to leave a legacy for the new generation. If you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so they'll trust, remember, and obey. If you look in verses 1 and 2 there, my people hear my instruction, listen to what I say. I'm going to declare wise sayings. I'll speak mysteries from the past, things we've heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but tell a future generation. The writer of this psalm is concerned It's written in a way to remind God's people. It's written to warm the heart and warn the conscience as well. And if you look down in verse 5, this is not not just a suggestion, but he's actually commanding the fathers to teach their children. If God has allowed, given you the privilege of being a father, then he commands you to teach. It's just part of the job description. There's something about becoming a father where you get up and you say, I've got to go earn a living. I've got to provide for this this life that is totally dependent upon me. Well, Scripture, God also says, if you are a father, then you are a teacher of your child. And actually, in verse 4, he says, if we don't, this is like hiding it. One of the ways, it's easy, though, I think, to take our spiritual background or even history for granted. I can't, I, I remember the time that my children uh, were taking a history class and they came home and they were telling me what they were learning in history. And I said, that's not history. I lived through that. (laughs) History's a long time ago. But in fact, these things were, were hidden from my children because I had not told them. I had just assumed. In fact, a a study found of 11,000 teenagers 
from 500 congregations across six denominations found that only 12%, one out of eight, have regular conversations of faith with their mom. Only one out of 20 have regular conversations with their father. We're to tell the next generation and really speak to each other about the works of God and the word of God. Look in verses 4 and 5. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might, the wonderful works he has performed. He has established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. In that first part of the passage, the psalmist is thinking about Israel's history. And he can look back, really, this is our, what we would call our Old Testament. He can look back and be amazed at what God has done. He had delivered. Think about, if you, if you just think of the, the miracle of the Old Testament. What God had done is taken his people down, 70 people, down to the nation of, of uh, Egypt. And in 400 years had multiplied them into 2 million. Then he miraculously brings them out of a superpower, Egypt walks them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea destroys the superpower of its day. Then he feeds them in the wilderness. Two million people gives them water, gives them food, leads them into the promised land, and establishes them there. The psalmist can look back and say, God is amazing to his people. And in fact, we proclaim, as he was proclaiming, God acts in history. His greatest work in history is the redemptive work of Christ. God actually inserted himself in history when he sent his own son in the person of Christ. That he would redeem sinners. Verse 5, he says, we're not only to uh, command us to tell the next generation the works of God, but it's also the words of God. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach our children. It's often called a testimony because the covenant was a witness between God and men, declaring what God expects of mankind and what God has promised to do. And so when God entered into a covenant, he gave his word. In fact, God's most precious gift besides his son is this book. And parents, you're the best spiritual teachers of your children and your grandchildren. The ministry here might only have them what, 50 hours a year? You have them over 3,000. No one has the ability to monitor and influence the spiritual life of your children like you do. And you say, I don't know enough. And you're right. You know what? You're right. But that's why God gives you little children, so you can stay one step ahead of them. (laughs) Why does God command us, whether it's fathers, parents, or even the church to one another, to speak to one another about the works of God and the wonders of God. For what purpose? Well, that brings us down to verse 7 and 8, which really in some ways is like the hinge verse of this psalm, this whole psalm. They were to tell the next generation the works of God and the words of God so they will trust, remember, and obey. So, verse 7, so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works and keep his commands, then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. 
So the reason we tell each other, the reason we talk to each other is because we want the next generation, we want each other here to walk with God, not to be like those generations who are stubborn and rebellious, whose heart is not loyal. Just remind us again, thinking specifically to the parents, one of the privileges God has given us, you didn't just have a baby. There's a, there's a human soul that's going to live forever. What is the most important goal you can have for a child? Well, if you're an American, get a good education, make a lot of money, have a good time. If eternity is real, and it is, then if I am discipling this new soul that God has given me, then the greatest goal is getting into heaven, not necessarily getting into Harvard. God wants his people to know their history, to remember their history, and to talk about their history. Why? So that we will live lives of trust and faith in God. God tells us, Psalm 78, tell the next generation about the works of God and the words of God so that they and we will trust and remember and obey. What are you doing specifically to impact the next generation? Let me tell you, there's a few things you should know and a few things that you can do. You might say, I'm really not good with kids. Uh, I don't relate to them. I can't teach them. I'm not going to be able to work in a youth program Uh, as much as I would like to. It's just not my cup of tea. Well, this is what I tell people. Try it. Just try it once. Uh, We have a children's program, and uh, sometimes all we need are adults to sit there at a table and listen to kids try to recite their verses. I mean, anyone can do that. Uh, You don't have to be exciting. You don't have to be uh, over the top and come up with games and be entertaining. All you have to do is sit and listen to verses, and quite honestly, anyone can do that. There's also other things that you can do. You can just be a good and faithful member of the church, serving and setting a good example so that those who come behind us find us faithful. Another thing is that you can pray for the youth leaders and the youth ministry that's happening in your church and the young families and their children in particular. I tell my church to set a timer for Wednesday nights on their phone, to set a little marker in their calendar. If they're not going to be there with us while we're working with the kids, they should be praying for us as we seek to hide God's word in their hearts. That is our goal. There's, it's, it's so important to pray, and maybe that's all you can do, but that isn't the least you can do. That's the best that you can do, praying for the next generation and trusting them in the hands of our Almighty God. But we also have opportunities all around us to encourage parents. Maybe the kids aren't your specialty, but you raise kids and you can talk to the parents and encourage them as they are seeking to raise their children. The opportunities that we have to come together as the church, as the body of Christ, we cannot neglect the gathering together. We need to be together so that we can bear each other's burdens, we can lift each other up, and we can encourage each other to love and good works. So plug into your ministries at your church, plug into those ministries in particular that are reaching the next generation. And if you don't have one, give us a call, Uh, let us know. Uh, We have actually worked with a number of churches already to help them ignite and start up some children's programs. We'd love to talk with you about it as as we have uh, opportunities to encourage you. That's our goal, is to encourage the advancement of the kingdom of God, and in particular, through the next generation. If we've been able to be a blessing in your life, now is your chance 
to be a blessing in our lives. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, and of course, you can look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, We want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him.